I'm going to throw a little curveball at you today and, and interview on you on your first backpacking hunt. So, Is that um, what we're doing? <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have time to do budget clothing? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I thought of it last night and I was like, I'm going to let Mark know. I was like, nope, never mind. Welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast. As you heard in the teaser, Steve completely surprised me, and we were supposed to record a show about budget backpack clothing, which we will do, but without any notice, he asked me, um, or I should say told me, that he was going to interview me about my first backpack hunt, uh, which was quite a few years ago at this point. So there's some definite lessons to learn in there. Hopefully you enjoy this episode and can take something away from my many mistakes that uh, I have made, not only then, but continue to make. So it's it's interesting that this whole learning thing is always a process. You're always learning something, getting a new perspective, and uh, that's part of the beauty of it, is it's a process and a journey. So hope you guys can take away something from this one. We'll be back next week with regularly scheduled programming and a guest So be sure to hit subscribe and tune in again next week. So, yeah, we'll preface it with we're trying to do this budget backpacking thing. And frankly, uh, Mark's obviously Johnny on the spot and I'm Mr. Procrastinator. So I've got a spreadsheet. I've got links and items and prices. (laughs) I'm sure you're. Full on ready for it. Me, um, yeah, this is like the second time we've pushed this podcast off. I just haven't had time to, I want to, we're going to do that. I want to make sure I go down to the, a store and, and, you know, I've got some items that I've used that are considered budget, but there's other items like rain gear and stuff that I frankly don't have a ton of experience with uh, outside of just, because I don't use it that often either, right? Like use the first light stuff. Um, I've got a boundary jacket and, you know, heck, I've used it like six times over the last four years. It's, it's just not something that's, uh, that I pick up that often so anywho i thought it'd be kind of fun uh literally late late last night i was like oh, i'm gonna cancel the podcast with mark again or you know like no what screw it i'm just gonna interview mark on his first backpacking hunt so flip the script on you a little I bit i like this is uh, your yeah. first time hosting hosting <laughs> yeah. yeah podcast is gonna go down a couple notches here <laughs> <laughs> so um i think for me the, the, the initial question is you're a midwest hunter um and what kind of lit the spark for you? What was the catalyst that forced you to not forced you, but you de- you decided I'm going to do this? Was it like a you know over years and years and years, or is it just like one day you watched an elk hunting film and said I'm doing that next year? Yeah, you know it's actually really funny that you're throwing this on me because after 
being at the shows last month and then just actually some emails we've gotten, some people are like, who is the guy hosting the podcast? Like, we don't know anything about him because we never talk about ourselves. It's just always right. the guest. So it's funny that you did this. Yeah. Um, it's actually pretty. Uh, so there's a moment in time like where I can kind of pinpoint. Um, so anyway, d- to give context, I hunted when I was younger, um, just rifle hunting, like whitetail stuff and you know the the rifle whitetail seasons 10 days i mean it's not like you're hunting all the time and then i did some small game and stuff like that and that was all with my grandfather and uh, he had a place uh, a couple hours south where i live and had some land and his extended family had land and it was just the opportunity was there and i loved the outdoors from a young age shot guns all the time just anything from hunting to shooting cans off the fence post type thing so you you said your grandfather did your dad not hunt? No, he doesn't, and still doesn't. Um, wow. And he's not anti by any means, but he grew up in the city. He grew up and he has um, eight brothers and sisters, and so literally like him growing up, it was all sports, and they just he had no no exposure to it. Period. Was it your grandpa that? So it was my like, mom's dad. Yeah. So what your okay? So your mom's dad was he? He was the one. Did he kind of? like get you out there and get you introduced to it or is it something as even as a little kid that you just wanted to do and and were interested and so you asked grandpa about it uh i think both so you know we would always go to to grandpa's place you know it was kind of we always called it going to the country it was a couple hours south and he had land and i i shot guns and stuff from an early age with him um and then he hunted and so i had interest and then he was happy to accommodate that but we would you know, shoot, ride four wheelers, go fishing, farm ponds, go hunting, just kind of like the general outdoor stuff. Anyway, as I got closer to like junior high, high school, just was too busy with sports and girls and things like that, where I wasn't hunting as much. And basically when I graduated college and had my own free time, uh, some level of money to burn, some level of autonomy of like, hey, I'm an adult, I can do whatever the heck I want. I wanted to hunt more and I wanted to extend my season from the 10 day rifle season. And so I picked up a bow for the first time. I had shot a bow, you know, with buddies growing up and things like that. I had never bow hunted, didn't know anything about them. Wow. So you didn't have a, didn't have a friend or something that was kind of the, no. like made it easy to get into the sport. You just kind of like walk into an archery shop and just know nothing and start asking questions. Yeah. Like literally I remember tests, you know, testing a bow. I went, I went to Cabela's and bought like a ready to hunt, you know, bear bow for, Bear meaning B-E-A-R, the bow brand, not a bear bow is in nothing on it. It was a ready-to-hunt bow from Bear Archery uh, at Cabela's for, you know, 350 bucks or 400 bucks or whatever. And when I, quote-unquote, test shot that, it was literally the first time I had shot a compound bow as an adult. So I had no idea what, like, yeah, this bow feels great or horrible. <laughs> I have no idea. Right. Um, it just was what it was. And so, yeah, everything was essentially self-taught from the beginning, going home, figuring out how to set the thing up and tune it and all that stuff. Um, I would, I would say, obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, you know, Mark is a uh, planner and very, uh, <laughs> I would imagine that wasn't a loosey goosey process. You probably really dove head first into, into working on working on your bow and tuning and figuring that all out. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely took a deep dive on not just trying to hit up high plate, but really understanding what's going on and trying to get accurate and understand how it works and all that. So that was a deep dive for sure. Um, the day I bought my bow, 
after I picked up my bow from Cabela's, I drove to the hospital to see my grandpa in the hospital. Uh, he had lung cancer at the time. So the guy who kind of got me started hunting and that whole process at the same time was, was also battling now years and years later, obviously it was battling lung cancer. And so anyway, he, he, he battled that for a couple of years. I was learning to hunt over that time. So I would go down to his place quite a bit and hunt as I'm learning to bow hunt specifically. A lot of that took place at his place. And uh, he couldn't get out much anymore. And so he would always have, you know, fun hearing the stories as I came back in, you know, after the morning hunt or the evening hunt or whatever, and talked about that. And I remember sitting with him one time and he had this pond and we were fishing and he was basically talking to like, you know, I always wanted to go out west and do some bigger hunts, um, hunt something besides just the whitetail in Missouri that he grew up hunting, which he loved, but he wanted to do elk or antelope or mule deer, any of that stuff. And he basically said, he's like, you know, it's, I don't know if you use the word regret, right? But here he is like battling lung cancer. He knows he's near the end. He doesn't have the physical ability to get out and do something like that. And he basically said, I really wish I, I would have made time to make that happen. Um, and the reason he didn't, it was just, he was, too busy, right? Like he, mm-hmm. he worked hard. He was a roofer, blue collar, never had the money or the time or never took the money or the time away from the family to make that happen. And so here I am here and that. And at that point I don't have kids yet and I'm married, but I know that's coming. And I thought, man, if it'd be so easy for me to say, I want to do that. Cause I did want to do that. And it would be easy for me to keep saying, I want to do that for the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. And so literally at that point, I just decided like, I'm going to make this happen. Mm. Um, it's probably not the most convenient time. I don't have a ton of extra money or time, um, but I'm going to make it happen. And so anyway, that's, that's when I decided like, Hey, I'm going to just not hunt Midwest stuff. I'm going to make it happen. Was, uh, was Jen, your, your wife supportive of you, like picking up this new hobby and and learning something new and kind of obviously got it i'm gonna imagine at some point obsessive about it and learning and you know doing it all the time yeah she you know um she she knew that that was my personality like if i do something i kind of go all out and so she she kind of knew what she was getting into she didn't you know if you would have asked her like today hey eight or ten years ago whatever that was would you think mark is doing what he's doing now or we're at she'd have no freaking idea but in terms of when I told her I want to go to Colorado and go on an elk hunt, A, she didn't know what that meant. Um, she had no context. She didn't grow up in a hunting family. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, she was supportive. Um, but jumping ahead a little bit, you know, it took a couple of years to make that happen. And by the time uh, my first trip came around, we had my daughter. And so <laughs> it definitely was a little bit like, oh, so you're leaving for a week to go hunting and we have a... Shoot, she would have been, uh, she would have been like eight months old at that point, oh, something nice. like that. So yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was perfect. Yeah, yeah. I got I, I can't. That um, it's just such an interesting dynamic of uh, I've been, you know, born and raised around, you know, born in the West. I've been in Idaho pretty much my whole life. Uh, grew up in an outdoor sports family, so there's, you know, I was, that's just second nature to me. I don't know any different, and. Uh, to hear that story of how someone from, you know, or your wife with know nothing about hunting to all of a sudden, you know, here's this husband who's like 
full on into it. It's got to be like, uh, like what happened to my husband, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so over that process of like that couple of years of deciding to do it versus actually go to my first elk hunt, because I was taking such a deep dive, um, and learning not only about elk, not only about bow hunting, but then all the super geeky stuff on archery and everything that goes with that. Um, I had backpacked before all this, so I had backpacking experience, but putting backpacking and hunting together was new and how that all worked out. So over that time was when I started, um, writing like blogging. And I, when I did that, I didn't have any intentions of that turning into anything. Um, but then as people started reading that, and so now here's my poor wife and her crazy, crazy husband is, <laughs> geeking out on bow stuff getting into hunting now he's writing on the internet about it like what a freaking weirdo you know yeah. so it was yeah <laughs> that's interesting um so earlier you 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 mentioned uh you were going to go to colorado how did you pick that state was it just because it's the closest place to hunt elk did you do a bunch of research how yeah. does that you know to kind of tie that story to a guy who's who's in your position right now living in Missouri and, and wants to go do an elk hunt. What was the uh, kind of the factors that narrowed that down to Colorado for you? Yeah, it was, um, especially back then, there wasn't the level of resources there are now. So there's no um, Onyx Maps, there's no University of Elk Hunting, there's no uh, Go Hunt, none of that stuff like exists yet. And so, you know, information is online, of course. Um, but there's not like that centralized, the shoot hunting podcasts weren't big then. So there just wasn't as many resources, Colorado, especially then with limited information clearly became like the easiest thing to pull off. I, again, keep in context. I've never been out West. I knew nothing about draw odds or points or Mm. any of that stuff. Like even so for Midwest guys or guys out East coming out West, like for a lot of us, even the idea of a unit is super weird or a zone. So like if you're deer hunting Missouri, it's essentially you're deer hunting in Missouri. It's not like, yeah, you know, unit 43 has these rules or zone a, you can do this. And there's really none of that. Um, and so the state thing was confusing and then getting into a state and then looking at all the different units and options and rules and some's over the counter and some it's not like I, definitely remember being overwhelmed by that especially because there wasn't as much centralized information so colorado just became apparent like a it's the closest uh b supposedly they have ton of elk and c it was just the easiest to find info on and so that was kind of a, a de facto choice and yeah did you end up finding did you call and talk to a fish and game officer or biologist and kind of help start helping narrow that down for you yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, I kind of picked, you know, I knew I wanted to do, uh, a wilderness area. Um, so I, I did the whole like, Hey, roadless is better. We can get away from the crowds. So I was, I basically started by funneling water over the counter units and then overlaying what over the counter units have wilderness areas. Um, I did look at obviously things like, uh, harvest statistics and things like that but i also didn't know how much weight to give that like mm-hmm. you know just like sure it might be seven percent here and nine percent there but i'm also like i have no idea what i'm doing does that even matter right like right. I, I have yeah. no idea what i'm doing um <laughs> so i honestly partially picked on the terrain of this area and this country looks freaking gorgeous um and it's a wilderness and it's over the counter 
And it looked like I could put together like a plan ABC relatively easy. And so that's mm-hmm. essentially what I went with. Yeah. Hmm. That's awesome. So, and then you, did you immediately know you wanted to do a backpack hunt? Was that like the, the kind of, you know, the dream you'd envisioned in your head of going out West and backpacking and killing an elk in the wilderness? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I didn't, um, I didn't have any money to do anything other than a DIY hunt. Um, I didn't have any idea about like setting up a road camp. Like to me, I just knew I wanted to backpack hunt. I had backpacked already. Like I, I understood hiking and backpacking and, and living out there. Um, at some level. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do. That was part of the, just the experience I wanted to. Um, but I also, you know, I just, I wasn't even aware of necessarily other options. Like the whole idea of setting up a base camp and hunting from there. I didn't know how to pull that off. You know, it's funny. We get the question to this day of guys who are newer to hunting and haven't been out West. And they're like, Hey, do I, can I just like, park my truck somewhere like how does that work you know and so i had all those same questions of like can i literally just pull off on the side of the road in a national forest or whatever and just set up a camp i had no idea i could do that type thing so to me it was i was and i was very much focused on i need to go do a trailhead um Mm -hmm. and we can talk about that later kind of backfired but um yeah i mean that's what i knew it was like i'm gonna go here here's a trailhead i'm gonna backpack in essentially on a trail. I knew I had to get off trail to hunt, but I'm going to take a trail in. Um, and then, yeah, just live out there. We, I mean, we packed for the full six or seven days worth of gear on our back type thing. Uh Um, and went in after it. So uh, did you have this whole thing planned in your head and you were basically solo at that point and where you're like, I got to go find somebody to to do this crazy adventure with me. Or did you have a buddy that was kind of along the process with you? Yeah, I don't, so I don't remember at which point I had mentioned it, but I mentioned it to a buddy of mine who didn't hunt at all, had never backpacked at all, uh, <laughs> but loved the mountains. So he had been to Colorado multiple times for like summer trips, um, for winter trips, for snowboarding, that type of thing. And so I kind of mentioned to him, I'm like, hey man, I know you probably don't want to elk hunt, but do you want to go with me? And then I told him it was backpack hunt and then he was super overwhelmed. And so I I told him, I was like, I'll help you figure out gear. We'll do trial runs, which we did. So we did some, you know, weekend backpacking trips here in Missouri before we went. And it was literally the first time he had camped outside of an established campground and maybe even car camping Uh, for sure the first time he backpacked. Yeah. That did that experience really help when it came time to the hunt? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, especially with him, but even with me, um, even though I had backpacked some of the gear I was taking on this hunt was new. So it was an, you know, an actual opportunity to test that gear. Um, so yeah, I had some, I don't want to say it was good experience. I had some experience backpacking. I remember my first backpacking trip. I have this funny picture. I'll see if I can dig it up, but I'm like massive freaking pack, you know, the typical like sleeping bag bedroll on the bottom, uh, wearing my jeans. Like it was pretty awesome. (laughs) So, all right, you've got a hunting partner. You picked out a state. You already kind of mentioned that you did this. How did you, I guess, narrow down exactly what trailhead you're going to hike in, what country you're going to hunt. And then from there, how does that, obviously you, you picked a, B and C places to, you know, if a didn't work, you had B and and plan C, how did you kind of, um, narrow that down? Were you 
you know, I think Google Earth was probably around at that point. Were you yeah. were you on there and researching like researching online what good elk country looks like, and then you were trying to look at that, or how did that process go? Yeah, I was trying to. I also knew that I was completely ignorant. Um, so yeah, basically what I did was again in the area I was, uh, there was trail systems. It's a fairly heavily hiked area in general. Um, I found a trail on a map from a trailhead. So there's this trailhead that basically had two major trail systems coming out of it. One heading to the north, uh, one heading to the west, or no, sorry, one heading to the east. And then I found this one heading west. I only found this trail heading west on a certain map, and I couldn't find it on any others. And I was like, oh, sweet. This is like a... (laughs) Your secret. This is my secret. Like... (laughs) I'm going to pull up to the trailhead. There's going to be all these cars, which there was. There's going to be day hikers, which there was. I didn't what, see what looked like many hunting vehicles. And I thought it had like this super secret trail I found based off of the magic of the internet <laughs> that was going to like take me into this pristine country, um, which there was no other trails back there. So I thought, oh, this is brilliant. I'm genius. So basically I get there and the reason that that trail was on whatever map I found was because maybe it was a trail at one point 40 years ago, but it wasn't maintained, wasn't used, wasn't anything. And so we were literally, we get up to this trailhead and oh gosh, we got 200 yards from the truck and we were like lost, not lost. Like we knew what direction was what, but we right. like, there was no trail to be found. And I was so set on going in and hunting that country and I was like, well, we're just still going. I had even picked out, like, here's where I think we should camp. Um, and it was, I want to say it was, so let's call it like three miles. It might have been like two and three quarters, like three miles of, this looks like a good spot to camp. And we can go north from here on this. And so I was trying to pick apart the country from that camp. So the idea wasn't to hunt with camp on my back, but like, let's go set up a camp here and we'll hunt from there. And I was so focused on that area that, even though the trail disappeared in a hundred yards, I just wanted to get to that area. And so, man, like before you knew it, we were straight just bushwhacking it through thick timber, steep stuff. Keep in mind the first time we had done any of this. So we were expecting <laughs> to hike on a trail quickly or off trail, wondering what the heck we were doing, um, was able to navigate to that camp spot. We almost didn't make it by dark like we were almost like man it's getting dark we should just stop here and i was like no we can make it we can make it how how are you navigating oh just gps and, and a paper map or yeah i had paper maps um i did a custom i think it's my topo or something like i did a custom paper map but also had a old garmin gps um that, which looks like it was from from modern terms, like from 1970, but it wasn't, it was like the 62 CSX or something. It wasn't a rhino or anything like that. Um, so it was just a little dot matrix type looking screen. So I had that guy. Um, yeah. And we, so anyway, we made it there. One creepy thing. <laughs> I totally forgot about this till now. When I was looking, I was basically looking at this opening where I wanted to set up camp and in exploring on Google earth, I thought I saw something yellow like in the trees and i was like what is that like maybe someone was camped there at one point in time so we make this long it felt like all day hike get there just before dark and i look across this opening and that yellow thing was still in the tree and 
somebody had completely abandoned like their camp. So I go pull it and it was like the yellow thing was a tarp. And then within the tarp was old food and an old sleeping system and all kinds of stuff. And I thought, gosh, did somebody get eaten out here? And then like <laughs> somebody stored their gear or somebody like serial killers out here. What's going on? So that was comforting. Yeah. Um, I still have no idea what happened, but that was pretty amazing. <laughs> so so yeah. you, you get there, you set up camp, it's dark. And you're laying in bed and you're thinking, you've never been in this country before. You don't know how to hunt elk. What's your plan for the morning? Have you researched strategies? Are you just going to lay out some cow calls and a bugle right from camp in the morning? Do you have like a, you headed to a water source? What you think on Google Earth is a feeding area. What's your plan? Yeah, we were, um, you know, I'd have to pull up maps to look like what elevation we're at. But I thought I knew, I, I was thinking I need to go up the mountain further to actually get into elk. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the whole goal was, yeah, let's gain some elevation in the morning. Let's, you know, in my head, I'm like, we'll climb up there in the morning and find this gorgeous meadow and the sun's going to be beautiful and there's going to be a big bull up there, you know, whatever you think of screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I do remember like laying in bed that night and getting there and thinking, I am a thousand plus miles away from home in the middle of freaking nowhere. And I'm going elk hunting. Like I was so excited to just have made it that far. Like I couldn't even sleep. I was so excited. Like we really did this. We're in the middle of nowhere. Speak. So I skipped past one of my questions when you said that you're a thousand plus miles. Obviously you have some logistics here and probably the biggest one was meat care. What was your plan for, you know, or were you even thinking that far ahead? Right. Like, am I actually going to kill one? What's going to happen when I kill this thing? Um, yeah, I was grossly underprepared, but didn't know that at the time. So it was probably a right. good thing we didn't kill an elk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I had, you know, I had a pack. I was going to pack that sucker out of there. And I had a knife that wasn't sufficient, but didn't know. And I had game bags. We had a cooler in the truck that wasn't big enough. Um, yeah, I would have been grossly underprepared. We'll put it that way. Um, so what? Yeah, what's a few of those items that so you help someone avoid that mistake right now? Yeah, I you know, it's funny. I've been spoiled. So this wasn't everything we talk about, obviously, is my first trip. Then the following year, I started hunting with someone else who I've been hunting with ever since. Um, and that year, we actually we took his truck, we put a he has a generator on it, um, or an inverter on it. And we put a deep freeze in the back of the truck and we killed an elk and that was amazing. We just put it in the freezer and drove home and we've done that every year since, which is cool. But yeah, I mean, so just thinking through like the biggest thing that stands out to me is if you're not used to elk, you can't really anticipate how big they are until you're staying over a dead one. And we're used to killing uh Midwest whitetail, and for me, not giant whitetail because I hunt like southern Missouri where the deer aren't as big is in northern Missouri. Um, and elk is big, uh, like really big. And so something I do to this day, and I wish I would have known about or done beforehand if guys are new, like even if you're hunting whitetails, is start doing like start taking care of them in the field. So, you know, go learn the gutless method and check that out. Go freaking pack a whitetail out on your pack, that type of thing. So just the whole process of looking at either quartering or doing the gutless method, um, use game bags, throw it on your pack, pack it out. Like if you can do that, even if you don't have to do that, like if you can drag the deer 200 yards and hang it up and do whatever, I would just, 
where it lies, take care of it, get it in game bags, load it up in a pack, pack that sucker out. Like it's not even going to compare to an elk, but going through that um, will be so valuable. So that would be my one my one bit of general advice. Yeah, that's a great tip. <laughs> so day one of the hunt, how what happens? Anything funny? Anything? Yeah, so we we hiked up. I kind of had like this meadow in mind, and again in my head, I thought, "Oh, it's the morning. They're gonna be up there feeding this meadow. It's gonna be perfect." And we're kind of like cresting this rise up into this meadow that was at right around eleven thousand feet. And I come like I'm I'm being way too cautious and moving way too slow and taking way too much time because I'm so used to deer hunting and they're you know I'm I'm worried about making noise and all that stuff, not realizing how aggressive you can be with elk so it probably took way too long to get up there because i'm like basically still hunting my way up there and uh, i get up there and like come over this rise and i look across a pretty big meadow and like see a body and my first thought was dang elk are dark and like the hide and a big old animal and then i look and it's cattle um <laughs> at eleven thousand feet in a wilderness area there's cattle on a meadow uh so the first quote let's call it wild animal i see on my elk hunt was cattle so apparently some rancher had grazing rights in the wilderness um and and yeah saw some cattle day one that was amazing did you see sign fresh tracks fresh poop smelled some fresh piss no not day one so we kind of we kind of went up and made a big loop and then um came down and I remember just being, you know, so overwhelmed by taking information in and trying to understand sign. And we probably get into some sign that day over the course of the next day. I distinctly remember getting into sign in terms of like poop and tracks, but everything, uh, nothing seemed fresh. And obviously I didn't have total experience to gauge like how fresh or not. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm talking like dried up, not fresh. So it was clear, like, yep, this is old. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm an idiot and I know that, (laughs) Uh, yeah. So over the, over the spending like the, excuse me, first two days in the area, not hearing a thing. Um, I probably sounded like, you know, an animal being completely taken advantage of when I tried to bugle, (laughs) um, you know, so no fault of elk for not responding to that, but didn't hear a thing. Didn't see any fresh sign in the first two full days. I think it was the third day we decided, I think maybe the elk went lower. Um, and there actually was, so this was a year where they had a bunch of early snow in Colorado and a lot of that had melted off literally the day we came in. So they had early snow, it melts off, everything's wet. Um, I had the idea maybe the snow, even though it wasn't that heavy, like maybe the snow pushed them down. We're not seeing fresh shine. We need to go lower. And by lower, we're basically dropping now to like into the nines, I think, um, maybe upper eights, mid to upper eights and nines into like Aspeny stuff. Did, did you pack up camp and move down? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. 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 So we okay. packed up camp, drop an elevation. We don't know where we're going to camp. Is this the same? Did you hike out to the truck and move down the road or you're just nope. moving cross country? Okay. Yeah. We're just like dropping down the mountain, um, kind of moving parallel from the truck, just down the mountain. Didn't know how to get back. Didn't know if a trail was down there, just kind of going for it. Um, thinking that this early snow pushed the elk down. We spent a full day doing that. Over the course of that day, um, there was a new storm front moving in, and the weather was getting really hairy. Um, 
is in like incredibly, incredibly windy. We're down in these thick aspens. Um, I kept wondering like, how far do we drop? How far do we drop? And at one point I thought I heard an elk and maybe I did, but it was so windy. It was hard to actually pick it up. So I had my, that day I had my first like heart beating coming out of my chest encounter. Cause I think I heard an elk <laughs> and I don't even know if I did, but I'm like, you know, arrow knocked, like set up trying to call. Cause I think I heard an elk heart beating out of my chest, waiting for an elk to appear at any moment. Nothing happens, of course. But that was my first like, oh, yeah, you know, encounter. <laughs> and That's uh, awesome. we keep kind of dropping down the mountain. And all of a sudden, they hear like this noise, like kind of a zzzz, And I look over and here comes some dude flying on a mountain bike. I'm like, what <laughs> the heck did we do? So as we dropped in elevation, um, I think we I think we crossed a, a a boundary from like wilderness to BLM. And there was some major trail coming through there that this guy was mountain biking on. And uh, so he was getting after it. And so now I'm like, Oh gosh, we blew it by coming down here and there's people down here and mountain bikers. And there's no way there's gonna be elk down here and yada, yada, yada. Uh, it was super, super hot that afternoon. I remember sitting like in our underwear, taking a break. It was just crazy hot. And then the winds were picking up like crazy. Um, we found a, a, a wallow that night, which was super exciting. Uh, again, I don't recall exactly how fresh that would have been or if I could have even interpreted that, but we, we found a wallow, which was awesome. Um, so then that was like kind of encouraging. So it was just, you know, it was mixed emotions. Like we saw a mountain biker and there's people down here and this is dumb. Oh, but wait, there's a wallow. Maybe we're in the right spot. So then hopes are kind of back up. Um, I remember that night we also, you know, so we're in new territory. I I had looked at this mountain, right. But I hadn't like picked out a camp spot ahead of time. Like I did as we came in. So I don't know where to set up camp. It's crazy windy. Um, that late afternoon, early evening, it was so windy and we're kind of down in these aspens that we heard a couple trees fall over. So the only thing we did to pick camp was try and get out in the open where a tree can't fall on us. I mean, it's literally like where can we go that a tree can't fall on us? Cause we uh -huh. heard a couple fall. Um, and we proceeded to hear some fall through the night so that we didn't get much sleep that night. That's for sure. Um, woke up the next day. Weather was not good. I think my buddy got some, uh, brief cell service and we checked the weather and it was looking really bad. Um, as in like a big snow front was moving in and things like that. We didn't know how bad it was going to get. We also didn't know where to go. So we were like, basically, let's hunt our way towards the truck. So like, well, let's, let's put in a full day of hunting. We'll hunt our way towards the truck. So we did that. Um, that was actually the day we heard a bugle. Like, for sure, heard a bugle, had a bull. Um, you know, I'm, again, so cautious. Like, <laughs> I don't know if this happened, but like, in my mind, the memory of like, I hear a bugle and I instantly like drop to my knees knock an arrow and i think i had like one of those uh like first light like neck gaiters and i pull it on my face like nope elk is gonna see me i'm gonna shoot it um so that was pretty funny so we had a little like calling back and forth with them i saw that bull like maybe ever so briefly at a distance through the trees um but it was just you know like Knowing what I know now, we, we didn't play it smart. We weren't, right. we, we should have closed the distance before we called, but instead I, I want to say, I 
can't remember if we called and he responded or we just randomly heard this bull fire off. But like basically as soon as we heard him, we just like stop, drop, get ready to shoot thing thinking he's going to mm-hmm. come on in. And in all reality, we should have, you know, tried to gauge his position, check the wind, close the distance if we can, like do all those things. But no, we were just like, this is how it works. So bull bugles yeah, and then you, you hear in. that first bugle and you have no like, oh, I mean, you're, I guess you're going to just kind of naturally assume a distance that the bull is from you, but you're going to have no basis on on what that bull's doing. Is he coming running straight at you? Or yeah. Going away? Or, yeah. That's I've got be nothing. So yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, that was my first for sure, for sure um, yeah. bugle I heard. Second arrow knocked to the trip, <laughs> neither of which had, was like a close encounter of almost shooting an elk. But, you yeah. know, I was elk hunting. So you, uh, you hunt your way back out to the truck? Yeah, hunt our way back to the truck uh decide even though we just found an elk we were cautious about the weather we when we were fairly high and the road we came in was fairly bad like on the way in there we almost weren't able to make it up to where we were um it was fairly high and again they had the early snow and it was melting so the right in there was pretty sketchy and we thought man if they get a whole bunch of snow are we gonna get stuck up here so we decided to bound down to town once we bombed down to town, we thought, eh, like we know that one elk was there, but in general, the sign wasn't that great. Let's go try plan B. Um, so yeah, that was the plan. We, we drove to plan B, um, which was kind of an, a, another trailhead. We got there at dark, uh, after dark and basically slept in the trucks that night. Um, from what I recall, I know we slept in the trucks that night. I, I don't think we did like a late afternoon hunt, but Slept in the trucks that night. Um, on the way in there, <laughs> there was a, a mudslide. This was a super wet year in Colorado. There was a mudslide. There was a a sign that said something to the effect of like Rocky Mountain Bighorn Habitat Area, um, which of course I'm not putting these things together. But as we get as we get there, we sleep in the truck. The next day we go to hunt this area. Um, to say it was terrain that we weren't prepared for, especially in those conditions, would be like a massive understatement. I mean, it was like vertical. Um, and it was snowing slash freezing rain slash rain. Like we were literally on that. We kind of crossed through the line of it was raining when we first left the truck and then we're getting elevation. And then it's all frozen precipitation, crazy vertical, like. I remember using my hands to climb type stuff and then it's wet and then it's freezing and we were in like way above our heads. Uh, and we actually heard another bull that day, at least one more bull that day. But it, I mean, I remember turning like to the direction where I heard this bugle from and it was just like looking up a face and going, cool, there's an elk up there, but what am I going <laughs> to do about it? Like I have no idea how to get up there um, or what to do if I shoot one up there. So that the weather kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I mean, it was getting pretty legitimate sketchy for how, how steep it was. And then all this frozen precipitation, I actually took a pretty nasty fall coming down. Um, I had strapped my bow to my pack cause I needed my hands, uh, to come down, took a nasty fall on my bow, um, had it good and scratched up and kind of almost like dented one of the cams a little bit. So I'm like, Oh crap. Had a target back at the truck. So we get back to the truck. I shoot that night. Everything seems fine. 
um, we're questioning our sanity for being in that country um, in those conditions. It yeah. got really cold that night. So we were like, we need to move to plan C. Like this country in these yeah. conditions is too tough to hunt, which I think so, was a ha- really yeah. smart call. Yeah. How many days do you have left here? Uh, Two. Two days left. Two days okay. left. So kind of hail Mary. Let's move to a new spot and see what happens. Yep. Yep. So we kind of do the same deal. We move after dark, um, pull off on the side of the road and some little turnout and just sleep in the truck again. I think it got down like low teens that night or something. It was super freezing cold. But this plan C, like I had basically looked at this road um, that we were on and I had looked on either side of it. And I was like, yeah, basically like all I looked at was it's public land that we can go in and hunt. I didn't like pick it apart. I'm on plan C. I didn't have any spots or terrain or anything else like that picked out. Um, and so we're essentially going in blind. Um so yeah, we start that day and take off. I have no idea where we're going. We're we're hunting. We're looking for elk. Mm-hmm. And we probably covered two or three miles. I want to say it's late morning-ish, something like that. And we're kind of in this aspen stand. And I happened to like almost out of my peripheral, like look across and across this drainage, there's kind of an open hillside and I see an elk this is the first elk I've seen. So I, like I had, I've heard those bulls and I've heard the bugles, but this is the actual first elk I've seen. Um, and from what I can tell with my binos, it was just a cow, but I'm stoked, you know? Mm -hmm. And so here I am glassing across a drainage and seeing the cow and realizing from early in the trip, I've been way too slow and thought, I just need to go at this thing not realizing it's really across a drainage and what's between it and I. And so I'm in this Aspen stand kind of start taking off. Like I'm just going to go run up there and get it, shoot it. And it, it gets steep and there's like this Creek bottom and I have to cross that. There's a massive drainage and it's going to take me like even hauling. It's going to take me a while. And in the meantime, it just feeds away. And so then I have no idea where it's at. I get to that Creek bottom it's not impassable, but going to be super tough to pass. And then the climb out of that bottom up to that other open hillside was massive. And I just thought, gosh, dang, this country is so big. You know, I just totally underestimated mm-hmm. getting there to that elk that I spotted. And so we just like in the, in the, over the course of moving that elk had fed away, didn't even see where it went. Don't know where it's at. Um, we just take a midday break and we're, we're kind of sitting trail side and, um, hear a horse coming down a trail. And it was actually, a like a game warden, um, from, you know, Colorado division of wildlife. So he stops and really nice guy and kind of checks, uh, our license and stuff like that. And of course I'm somewhat nervous. Like, did I do all this right? Like, <laughs> am I legal? You know, yeah, but yeah. he was really nice and I probably was laughing inside at how green we were after talking to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, long story short, we covered more ground that day. We had to hunt out. We, we didn't have camp on our backs. So we had left it at the truck. So we basically made a big loop that day. Another front was moving in and we, technically had one day left and didn't know where to go and were beat up from the previous five days. And so we actually pretty much just called it, um, and got, we basically 
left the day early. So we hunted five days when we basically had six days to hunt, which, you know, adding travel to that was a eight or nine day trip. So, right. yeah. yeah, I mean, we, we kind of called it after that day going, cause it, we actually, we had talked to that, you know, that, um, wildlife guy that stopped us. He was basically like, yeah, to be honest with you, you're not in a great spot, <laughs> which was our plan C. And so we were just kind of like dejected from that point of like, well, shoot, like, what do we do now? It takes yeah. too much to get into the country we were in first. Plan B was like way over our heads, difficult and steep. We're at plan C. I, I literally don't know what else to do. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we basically had one more day at the most where we could have hunted. Um, and basically we're thought by the time we get into somewhere, if we shoot something late, like then it's going to extend the trip. So yeah, I mean, we, we called that early and that was the end of my first elk hunt. Um, did the, uh, the guy, the fish cop, like, did you ask him like, Hey, is there an area, you know, within five miles of us that might be better? Did you even ask, like think to ask that question? No. I mean, we were, yeah. we were midday at that point and I just, I still like, I think I was so focused on like, we had seen an elk, we're going to find an elk tonight type thing. I honestly didn't. Plus I think I was probably just nervous and intimidated of like, am I getting ready to get in trouble type thing? So yeah, I I wasn't thinking that, um, and didn't ask that. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially how the trip ended. From a gear perspective, um, what, uh, what mistakes did you make? What did you do? Right. Um, clothing was good. Um, yeah, clothing was do? good. I had a, I had first light stuff then, so I'm like some merino layers. Um, really glad that I had at least on that trip. I, it's funny, like that first trip, I probably used rain gear more there than I have in any year since, which is funny. Um, so yeah, I had first light clothes for that, and was you know, pre- I remember being pretty amazed at that after uh, afterwards. I had a pack. Uh, this was pre-EXO, mind you. <laughs> so I had a pack that wasn't an EXO. Um, I would have been in massive trouble if we killed an elk. Uh, it worked fine for kind of carrying my gear and carrying camp. Um, mm-hmm. But I had done training with that. And essentially anything like 60 pounds or over was not super comfortable. Um, and if I would have had to peck out an elk a few miles, I probably would have really been more than uncomfortable. Did you know, speaking of that, did you, were you, obviously when, when we're backpacking, we're always very aware, um, there's a general rule of how, like if we kill something, how we're going to get the meat out. Like that's something you need to be, you know, conscious of. Is that something you guys were kind of thinking about while you're hunting or it was just like, ah, whatever we, I guess you didn't know how big a freaking elk was going to be and, and how yeah. much work it would be to get it out. Yeah. I mean, I remember like roughly in my head being like, we can't be more than five miles from the truck type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was aware of that at the same time, even if we were two and a half miles, I would have been, you know, Toast. in a world yeah. of hurt for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the next year, I mean, we packed out an elk, uh, and it was, we ended up being like six miles and that wasn't brilliant. Um, <laughs> you know, the first time packing out an elk being six miles, that was not smart. No. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I was roughly aware and in my head, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm young and in shape and you know, I can do five miles if I need to type thing, but I would have, I would have learned some lessons. We'll put it that way. <laughs> Any other backpacking gear? Like 
massive failures or i mean i'm assuming you probably did a lot of research and, and picked some decent stuff to start with but yeah tent, sleeping bag yeah you, so did you have a warm enough bag for for the trip comfortable pad all that stuff yeah so decent enough stuff like it actually you know kind of going back to like that budget gear podcast we did it was kind of that stuff right like it was budget but it was good um I think I had actually had that Sierra Designs Zisu um, sleeping bag, which I think I mentioned in that episode. It was like a 15 degree bag, um, kept me warm and it got down into the teens. Um, so it was a legit bag, not the lightest by any means, but it was good. Um, I had a one of the older big Agnes sleeping pads, um, like one of the first Q cores, I think, mm-hmm. um, which actually the earlier Q cores I like better than their newer stuff. So it was good. Um it was the first time I had ever run a floorless shelter. We just had the uh, Mountain Smith Mountain Shelter LT, which is like a hundred bucks. It's a little um, two-man floorless pole-supported shelter. Not ideal if you have to spend a ton of time. It's you don't even really have like sit-up room for two guys. It's pretty mm-hmm. short, um, but it's kind of like more of a tunnel-style shelter. Definitely livable. It did good. It. I mean, we had those crazy winds that one night. And, uh, it, it stood up to that good and we had it in Mm. some precip and it did good. I did get a small tear in it. Um, it, one of the stake loops, but that there was during setup, it totally could have been me putting way too much torque in the angle of the Mm. stake. Um, Mm -hmm. and they actually sent me a brand new one, um, after the trip. So they were good about that too. So that was good. Um, yeah, pack, I probably would have been screwed for sure. Did you, uh, from a footwear perspective, did you buy a pair, you know, a year in advance and, and break them yeah. in? Did, did, yeah. Yeah. So footwear, I went, uh, super heavy cause you know, not having a ton of experience. I'm like, I need a mountain boot. So I went like low at Tibet's like super heavy, super stiff. Um, and for what they are, they're actually good boots. I still have them. Um, but yeah, I did a ton of, I remember, you know, like that spring beforehand, I did, um, a backpack turkey hunt uh, here in Missouri and wearing those and, you know, those backpacking trips we did just to kind of test gear. I wore them. So I definitely had those, uh, quote unquote, like broken in or tested if you will, and knew that they were going to be good. So I didn't have any issues there, which was nice. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of like other, any other gear standout stuff for sure. But like overall for, for, your first you know, trip, it wasn't for the bad. first trip, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I had done, you know, a ton of research. I had been on at least probably four like backpacking trips with most of that stuff beforehand. So I think if there's any like gross airs, they would have weeded themselves out. Um, but yeah, so it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Okay. So let's, let's wrap it up going like, obviously you got to just go experience your first time. You don't know what you don't know until you go do it. And there's going to be this learning curve. And if you go out and complete rookie newbies and kill an elk you've done something pretty amazing but what what do you think you could have done better you know looking back at it and you could you know obviously apply new technology that we have that for access to people now as far as research and stuff like that yeah yeah i mean i remember coming out of that trip and then going into next year um realizing that elk hunting is not deer hunting like I can be more aggressive. I can cover more ground. I don't have to tiptoe around as much. And I'm not talking about like just in an elk encounter. I think that's true. I'm just talking about like in general. I think I tiptoed around too much, just covering ground, thinking like, you know, I'm just going to spook some elk, you know. And I'm not saying be careless, but if you're used to like deer hunting, 
you're probably being way too cautious in general, um, just in terms of covering ground. I knew that I needed to be able to call better, um, to bugle better, uh, not even like getting full on. Like I remember I had like the elk nut playbook and stuff for the first hunt. And I was trying to understand like calling scenarios and situations. And I think that that's good. I'm just talking about like flat out being able to blow a bugle. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not there, um, for my first hunt. So I knew that that was going to be more important. I needed to understand that better and, and practice that more. Um, shooting, you know, um, I pretty much all my hunt bow hunting had been from a tree stand at that point. And so just shooting in different positions, standing, kneeling, like angles and up and down and understanding arrow flight for, you know, just shooting through thicker timber. Um, it's like that definitely stands out for sure. Um, but yeah, I think in general, I just thought I need to cover more ground be more aggressive, um, be able to call better and then just be prepared mentally. Um, cause I got enough of like on that first trip, even when I, before I saw that cow, like even before I saw my first elk, like that legit bugle encounter, like that got me so wired. Um, it gave me the, Oh man, if an elk comes in, <laughs> I'm like <laughs> right. full on buck fever. Right. Yeah. So I also knew that's like, I still need to manage that. Um, which I think is like an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had enough of a taste of, gosh, if an elk comes in, like I got to know how to hold it together type thing. Yeah. So those are some of the big ones that kind of stick how out about, in my mind. I mean, to, from the sounds of it, and and obviously it's, it's funny, like you made the comment on your first two days there that you weren't seeing enough elk sign that you thought was justified staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, how do you... Uh, obviously that's just a gut feeling you've got absolutely nothing to base that off of yeah um but but in general from the sounds of it it didn't you were into some elk but probably weren't in really great habitat is there something you could have done more uh you know or difference as far as researching the areas that you hunted um or i guess did you feel like you did the best you could with the information available you know a decade ago yeah i feel like i did the best i could um yeah. with the information i had i mean to be honest with you i still think if you're if you're coming out from out of state and sight unseen and you don't have, you know, any intel, like firsthand type intel, and you're just going off of like, let's call them digital resources, right? Like on X, Google Earth, et cetera. Um, and it's still kind of a crapshoot, right? I mean, you still, yep. you still don't fully understand the country till you're there. It's going to take some time to learn it. Um, and then just, you know, having hunted since, you can be in the same spot in two different years and have a much different experience. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's still just so many variables there. Um, but that's why I think it's also when you get there, if you have limited time, like cover some ground, you know, find some elk, don't dilly-daddle. Uh, if you need to move to plan B, move to plan B, like that type of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, in terms of that, I still think it's like – the digital resources are fantastic, especially compared to what we did have 10 years ago. Um, and I think they're, uh, can help, you know, for sure, like shorten that curve, but you ultimately mm-hmm. don't know until you get there, you know? And yeah, just yeah. got to experience it. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, so to wrap this up, thanks for coming on our podcast to, uh, how can yeah. people find you? Thanks for having me. 
Um, you can't find me. That's cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Social and all that stuff. I don't really do much. So, yeah. If you have questions, you can obviously get a hold of me, mark at xmongear.com. Be happy to help. Um, but, yeah, it's funny being on this side of things. Thank, good, yeah. And good job hosting, Steve. Thanks, man. I Thanks. think I can retire now and just let you take it over. <laughs> Well, that's a wrap, guys. Uh, Hopefully there's something in there you can relate to or learn from. And again, we'll be back next week with a guest and more regularly scheduled programming. Uh, As always, we appreciate the questions, comments, feedback, uh, etc. You can always contact us directly to podcast at exomountgear.com. See you next week.